Uh, every time I hear that song, How Firm a Foundation, uh, it reminds me of one radio program. I'm never going to ever be able to sing that song without thinking of one radio program. You guys know what that is? Yeah, that's right. So my first through the Bible teach well, through the Bible, obviously it's a radio program, but my first solid verse by verse uh, teaching through the word. And uh, man, that, that brings back some great memories. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know, I'm Corey, uh, one of the missionaries here that the church supports. Uh, my wife and I have a uh, cowboy preaching ministry where we go to lots of rodeos. We are actually members of the church, even though I don't think we've been here since like March. And uh, we are just blessed to be able to, to cover for Pastor Mark while he recovers. And uh, so thank you guys for, for letting us be here. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today, all right? So open your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we uh, turn there, as you guys turn there, I'm going to give you lots of time to get there. 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to begin in verse 7. Uh, but as we turn there... Keep in mind, 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, all right? So to give you a brief history, and and I'm going to try to jam this into a a quick few seconds or minutes here. Uh, Paul planted the church in Corinth around 51 AD. He served there for about 18 months. That's that's around Acts 18. Then he went to Ephesus and eventually returned to Antioch. During Paul's third missionary journey, which is in Acts chapter 19, we know that he served in Ephesus around two years. During this time, he wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church. All right. This letter is, in fact, lost. We don't know anything about it. We don't know a lot of what it says, but we know it's referenced in 1 Corinthians 5, 9. So now Paul's second letter, and I promise I'm going somewhere here with this. Paul's second letter to the to the Corinthians was eventually written to, to correct some misunderstandings from that first letter and to answer some questions and to deal with a couple other leadership and ministry issues. This is 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, then we, somewhere between the writing of 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul made a visit to the church that he has referred to as painful. I don't know what a painful visit to a church is, uh, but probably for the church father, for the planter, for the mentor of a lot of folks in that church, uh, he probably showed up and saw a lot of things going wrong and even maybe some opposition, uh, some physical opposition or some teaching opposition there. Um, there's, there's no record in the book of Acts of him visiting after that, although he references another visit that he's possibly going to make. Um, But we know that uh, after this painful visit, he writes a third letter to the Corinthian church. All right. Now, this third letter is, is probably dealing directly with some of those painful things. Uh, that letter, again, was supposed to come uh, be carried by Titus. Uh, we don't have a record of that. We know it probably showed up, uh, but... Um, Titus eventually gives Paul some information about uh, what happened, and so now we have 2 Corinthians being written. So to sum all of this up, this is really awesome to follow, the first and third letters of Paul to the Corinthians were lost to history, but they're referenced. Uh, Paul made a second trip that's not recorded, but we actually know it happened. Paul, Paul promised a third trip that likely never happened, and 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter, and 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter. Y'all got that? That that intro was written by the CDC. <laughs> really easy to follow. <laughs> wow. Um, 
but I say all that to say, just, just to give us a, a, a little, a little history here. If you were to boil down the message, really of both books of Corinthians, if you were to boil down the message of, of, uh, 2nd Corinthians and 1st Corinthians, it really would be ministry. With maybe 1st Corinthians focusing more on the practical aspects of ministry, like, this is how things should operate in the church, this is how we should serve, um, and, and 2nd Corinthians being more the philosophy of ministry, although both books kind of delve into uh, both sides of that. Ministry being, at least for our uh, uh, context here, ministry being how the church serves in the world around them, right? How the church serves its own members, how the church serves uh, the, the greater world. All right, so Paul talks about ministry in both of these books. Paul also spoke a lot about our resources for ministry, right? So he's talking about philosophy of ministry, he's talking about the practical application of ministry, but in that he talks about our uh, our resources, right? How we get ministry done. And if you read through 2 Corinthians, he lines out we, with the resource we have for ministry, the main one is that we have an encouragement from God. That is the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, uh, hanging in there with us, carrying us along each step of the way, gifting us, equipping us, uh, encouraging us. We also have divine revelation, right? Uh, they had the Old Testament. They had some letters of the early church fathers. Certainly you and I have the word of God very easily read, uh, readable, read, readable, read, Whatever. In our hand, pretty easy. Um, and, and then, so we've got encouragement from God. We've, we've got that divine revelation. And we have the prayers of the saints. And Paul understood more than anybody. You read this in nearly every one of his letters. He understood that uh, his prayer, not that it didn't work, but the Holy Spirit didn't answer it. God didn't answer it quite the same as when he had a whole slew of folks from various churches praying for him, right? Um, he also talked a lot about the experience of ministry. And Paul gets really honest in 2 Corinthians here. And, and I promise this is kind of building us and helping us understand 2 Corinthians 4. But uh, that experience of ministry really for Paul was, was rooted in a little bit of tribulation, right? Uh, he dispels the idea that... that uh, Ministry is skipping through flowers and petals and, and uh, great fields filled with lollipops, whatever. Uh, easy stuff. Uh, he talks about tribulation, but then he all, and if he stopped there, that'd be bad. But he also talks about hope, right? You can get through the tribulation because of that hope. Second Corinthians 5.10, which, which uh, we may cover next week, he says, uh, for, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, he knew his judgment was coming when he eventually died. And so he says, so that each one may, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He understood that he had a hope. Everything he labored for here, even though he met roadblocks, even though he probably felt fail, failure, even though he was attacked, uh, even though uh, the folks that should encourage him and be a part of his team uh, uh, certainly turned their backs on him, he understood he had something greater coming up, right? And then, so you got tribulation, you got hope, you got triumph. The knowledge that God is at work no matter what quantitative results we see. Uh, this is huge for us. And this is huge for anybody that's serving in ministry. And I'm not saying uh, on a foreign field, or not only on a foreign field, but I'm saying if you're an Awana leader, if you're teaching Sunday school, if you just are trying to mentor that kid across the street, uh, the, the triumph is not in quantitative results, but rather in seeing the Holy Spirit at work. That means you and I got to be faithful with the word 
and not worry about numbers. Um, if you read through our, our uh, newsletters, and it's hard for me to write a newsletter these days because you're technically not supposed to cross state lines, right? Uh, all that kind of stuff. Pretty much everything I do is illegal now uh, when, when I go to a rodeo across the state line. Uh, so I don't, I, it's, it's hard for me to write a letter, but one thing you will never read in any of our letters is a number saying this many people, X number of folks got saved. Uh, X number of folks uh, responded to Christ. And that's really for, for many reasons. One is <laughs> anything positive that's happening is because of the Holy Spirit and the Word, right? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, but but uh, number two, uh, God doesn't necessarily uh, deal with us on the road that way. Sometimes I'm uh, throwing seed out. Sometimes I'm watering. Uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit allows us to be there when there's a, a reaping or a harvest. Uh, but for the most part, we trust the Holy Spirit. We want to see the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, that's what we want to see. And Paul Paul backs that up. All throughout 2 Corinthians. All right, so that's a brief intro for us. This is a book about ministry. This is a book about how we serve our community, our, our body of believers, and how we serve in the world greater. So let's look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, for a little bit of context, we're going to be read verses 1 to 6. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, uh, that you've made it so accessible to us today. Uh, thank you that, that we can still gather here freely and open up your word and uh, open up your word together as, as a body of believers. And now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just be challenging our hearts, uh, opening our hearts, and uh, that you would teach us what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. All right, this is Paul reminding us that in being selected as a minister of the new covenant, we don't lose heart. He says, I don't give up because of what God's called me to, because of what God's led me to. Uh, Verse 2, he says, Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. Now, Paul was dealing with a whole lot of false teachers. This is me talking. We're not reading anymore. Uh, Paul was dealing with a whole lot of false teachers uh, that were in the Corinthian church uh, that we're actually saying several things about him. And so this verse is when he says that that um, we renounce the shameful secret things, he's actually kind of going up against those high-profile false teachers. Some of them had said that Paul was withholding vital information from him, as if Paul's this great teacher, which he was, but he's holding back, like he's, he's keeping the secret sauce to himself, right? And so they're saying, we can't trust that Paul guy. Uh, we, we can't trust that dude. But then, because this is what happens so many of us when, when we fall into a particular sin, they themselves were claiming authority for the same reason. Hey, by the way, we have secret sauce that Paul doesn't know about, so you really need to listen to us, not Paul. Uh, and, and on top of that, there was probably some, some uh, dark sins that were going on behind the scenes of them uh, just uh, taking a little service that maybe they shouldn't, or some immorality. But all of that is what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, guys... My life has been an open book to you. He says, verse 3, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. Again, this is countering the idea that Paul was withholding something. Uh, he reminds them that the word, that is his message, the word, is only veiled to those who are made, uh, who are made so, um, by the God of this age, the, the God of this age blinding them. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, verses 15 and 16, the, the previous chapter kind of deals with this. Paul said, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. If anyone is veiling Paul's message, it's the enemy. It ain't Paul. All right. So he just throws that right out there. He goes to the problem. Verse 5, for we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. Now again, Paul's telling about who he is and who his missionary band, I remember in missions, uh, intro to missions, uh, Mr. Morgan always talked about the Pauline band, and I thought that would make a great band name, right? Uh, but Paul's team, while he was on the road, Paul here is talking about who they are. They say, no, look, we're not co- proclaiming ourselves, but we're pro- proclaiming Jesus Christ. And he says, we didn't come to you wanting to be served like we're some great leaders. We came to you to serve. Again, this is a big contrast and so much, especially of First and Second Corinthians, but a lot of Paul's writing is a contrast. He's contrasting himself with these false teachers that were in the Corinthian church. They obviously were men that proclaimed themselves above Christ. And they obviously were men that showed up and wanted to be served rather than to be humble and serve and follow the Lord's example. Paul goes on and he says, verse 6, For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That darkness that blinds unbelievers is driven away as Paul continues to share the word. All of this uh, kind of kind of gives us an intro to verses 7 and following. And it really kind of shows us, again, if, if the book of 2 Corinthians is a book of ministry, teaching us how to minister, how to serve in this world, um, it really shows us the first six verses there show us the integrity of ministry. Now we're going to actually look at kind of the conflict of ministry. All right. So let's read verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now we have this treasure in jars of clay or in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Now, I, I, the treasure that Paul's talking about here is that same treasure that he mentioned in verse 6, that knowledge of God, that glory of the knowledge of God. This is not the knowledge, not only the knowledge that leads to faith, uh, that, that leads to eternal life, but it's the beauty of that maturing daily walk as we grow in him. And he starts to kind of transform us into who we were built to be, who we were made to be. He's saying this treasure is in jars of clay. Now, um, I love that he says that the word, the Greek word there for treasure literally could be used for a silver mine. It's not that this is treasure like something I think is important. He's saying this is the, one of the most valuable things to the ancient world. Um, this treasure is most precious, yet it can't, yet it's stored in a simple and humble clay jar. Now think about this clay jar for a second. 
Um, clay jars can, can be uh, uh, refer to the vessel that, that either contains liquid, like think of, of a drink or water uh, or a fancy perfume, or, or jars also, clay uh, pottery type jars were, were used as a, as a lamp as well that you'd use to kind of put oil in and use it as a lamp to light your house. The reality is, and, and we kind of have the similar thing today, you go to the store and if you decide to buy yourself a bottle of water for more than it costs for a gallon of gas, right, you, you get a little jar, right, you get a little, you get a little bottle. Um, you got you go to buy the finest drink that has ever been made. What is the finest drink that has ever been made? Ooh, somebody said coffee, and that's actually not where I was going, but that's true. Who said it over here? Who said that? Outstanding, Keaton. Yes, thank you. And from Nebraska, no less. They don't know nothing about Dr. Pepper up there. Um, Dr. Pepper, yeah. You go to the store and you get any one of those. You can also run to the store. And I'm, alcoholic things are super expensive, I guess. But you can still get perfume. You can get uh, the most refined extra virgin olive oil that you could possibly imagine from Italy. You know, all those things are going to come in a jar. They're going to come in a small container. And guess what? The container is only as valuable as what? The stuff that's in it. Right? And this is what Paul's saying. We have this treasure that's in these, these, uh, glass or these clay jars. He's saying that the greatest treasure that we will have on this earth is actually contained in something that fails. It's something that's fragile. It's something that, that uh, has issues and, and even has integrity issues. Think of this in terms of ministry. Serving the world, uh, Paul's, and, Paul's opponents and us as we get out there and serve, we need to remember it's not about us and the container. It's about that treasure, right? That's what Paul's reminding us. We go into verse uh, 8, and he says... Keep in mind that context of the clay pot. He says, we are pressed in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. So this is coming on the heels of that idea of the earth and jars. Paul reminds us that we can be cracked, we can be broken, and he... Really, truly, if he left it there, that'd be a bad place to stop. But he, he reminds us that there is constant opposition and that they share, as you share this treasure from the Lord, there will be constant opposition. Something that Paul dealt with, something that you and I will deal with. And Paul, um, again, is kind of this master of the contrast. He gives us a couple of contrasts here, very graphic contrasts that he uses to illustrate how opposition or conflict shows up in our ministry. He says, first, we are pressured in every way, but not crushed. Do you know my wife has this incredible little tool that we take on the road with us? We have fed literally thousands of cowboys, maybe not thousands, but four at least, uh, cowboys with, with the instant pot, like this magical little electrical device. Um, and Leslie can can take like she can make uh, this doesn't sound that fancy, but she could take spaghetti and put it in the instant pot, and somehow like the noodles are impregnated with the sauce. It's amazing. It's cool. All that pressure. Uh, we got when we were at the national high school finals a couple weeks ago. Uh, Team Hawaii somehow has adopted me, and so uh, a lot of those folks will bring over 
cases of deer meat, frozen deer meat with them. Um, that sounds impressive to us, but deer is actually a pest in Hawaii. It's not native to the land. You can shoot a deer whenever you want. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't get the appeal of deer because we have beef, right? Way better. Don't get it. Deer was that good. People be roping them in a rodeo, but they don't. Um, where are we going? Oh, yeah. And deer's not, not marbled, so it can be a little tough. Leslie throws it in that instant pot making chili, and somehow this tough, terrible meat actually is amazing and crumbles, right? Uh, it's, it's this powerful little tool and device. That's the idea that Paul's given us here. Uh, he, he says we're pressured. We're in a pressure cooker. We're pressured in every way, but we're not crushed. We're in an instant pot, yet we're good. Uh, he, he goes on, he says, we're perplexed, but not in despair. And this is kind of a wordplay a little bit uh, with the Greek words that are used here. The Greek word used for perplexed is actually the root word, uh, for, root for the word used for not in despair. So out of perplexion. Um, and so uh, maybe a great paraphrase of this could be, we are at a loss, but we are not utterly at a loss. Think about that. <laughs> we're at a loss, and, and if you've ever served in any type... Not just ministry, you've ever served in any type of way. Uh, you find yourself at a loss frequently, un- unfortunately, sometimes. You may plan something, you may have this desire, you, you may be uh, put in a situation, and you are just at a loss. But he tells us, we're, we've been at a loss, but we're not utterly at a loss. Like, we're not giving up, we're still moving forward. Uh, scratching our head, this is how I would say it if I was to paraphrase it. I'm scratching my head, but I'm moving forward. Right. Uh, then he goes on, he says, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. Though Paul was given over to persecution, he was never forsaken by the Lord. Right. The Lord never left him there. Uh, he knew he was not alone. He had the presence of God. Um, and the fourth contrast that he gives us is he says we were struck down, but not destroyed. And though that persecution that we talked about was terrible, that persecution was intense, um, that, that uh, he was even to the point of being struck down. And we'll read about that in a second. The Lord spared his life. We go on verse 10. He says, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul reminds us that his body and his team's trials are a picture of Jesus' death. Remember, Jesus was hard-pressed, right? Jesus was perplexed at times in his earthly ministry. Jesus was certainly persecuted, and Jesus was eventually struck down. Jesus experienced everything that Paul had uh, just mentioned, but, but he actually experienced it with a much greater intensity than even Paul could imagine, right? Jesus' life is revealed as we suffer for him. It's not to say that we earn our salvation. Certainly we don't earn our salvation. But it certainly does harken back to verse 4 of, uh, uh, verse 6 of chapter 4. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ Jesus. When we suffer and we continue, uh, walking in faith as we suffer, uh, we get to shine that glory. Verse 11, he says, For we live, for we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. 
Jesus' death and resurrection were the ultimate example for Paul's ministry, right? Uh, when he suffered, he was walking in the example that Christ had given him. Contrary to the popular opinion today, you flip on uh, uh, any, nearly any of the guys that are on TV right now that are beaming into your homes, uh, most of them will give you a prosperity gospel and will say, if you have enough faith, you will never have trials. Um, and, and we unfortunately have that in the rodeo world, and I would say that the average preacher that you see at a rodeo, um, or you flip on, there's, there's this cool channel now called the Cowboy Channel, which is kind of along with uh, RFD TV that'll show you 24-7 uh, rodeos. It's amazing. You don't even have to have ESPN. Like, pff, who cares about them kneeling guys? You can watch rodeo. It's amazing. Uh, but, but on the Cowboy Channel, every once in a while, they'll have a preacher as well, and 99% of those guys are going to be in the prosperity gospel realm that are going to say, if you have enough faith, you're not going to have trials. If you have enough faith, you're always going to win. If you have enough faith, everything's always going to go right for you. Paul might give us a little bit different picture of that, right? Paul might show us a, a little different issue here. Um, he's saying if you're going to minister, that is, if you're going to serve this world, you will regularly face the possibility of death. Uh, to Paul, ministering meant facing the, the hatred or the shaming of his community and its government even. It also meant facing the possibility of torture and imprisonment. It ultimately meant the possibility of facing certain death. And remember in this, and, and I referenced this a second ago, uh, later on, we don't have time to, to uh, read this fully, but I'll just glance through it real quick. Later on in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, verse 22, Paul's again stating his credentials for these guys that, that think they're better than him and, and are trying to get him ousted from leadership or influence in the church in Corinth. Uh, he's stating his credentials, and, and in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22, he says, uh, he's asking the question about these guys. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Uh, some Bible translations say 40, 40 lashes minus one. It was not possible for you to be lashed 40 times and live. So 39 times actually is, is kind of like us saying beaten within an inch of your life. Uh, oddly enough, this is still on the law in Texas, no less, uh, as a punishment for uh, livestock rustling. So watch it. You steal a horse in Texas. They're going to come after you. I uh, forgot where I was at. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Not in the, ca- the California or Colorado way, but literally the capital punishment form of stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I face danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own countrymen, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, lacking clothing, not to mention uh, other things. There, Not to mention other things, there's the daily pressure to me, my care for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not, uh, I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. So here Paul is saying, look, I have dealt with trials and I understand that I am this clay jar. I am this earthen jar, uh, but Christ is working through me. 
He's reminding us a Christ-like ministry is going to have a certain amount of suffering and conflict. Hear me. Verse 12, going back to uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. Now, this is the key, and this is kind of the hinge in this particular, ver- this particular passage. For Paul, the risk of death was worth it so that life could be, uh, could be working in the believers in Corinth. Paul was completely, listen to this, Paul was completely ready, ready to die sharing the word so that others might experience the life of Christ. Paul was completely ready to die so that others could experience this life of Christ. Now, when I say life of Christ, read into that uh, not only the eternal life we can have through faith in him, but also that maturing life that I talked about uh, where we are progressively growing into who we're meant to be. This literal sacrificial attitude shows the depths of Paul's love for the Corinthians and how he yearned to see him grow. Like a dad watching their, their child, he just yearned to see him grow. And he was willing to sacrifice even his own life to make that happen. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Uh, this is likely not a reference to the shared Holy Spirit that, that they have, you know, as believers, but rather a quote from Psalm 116. Uh, the Psalm, Psalm 116, the psalmist is actually, it's a psalm of thanksgiving for deliverance uh, from an enemy. Paul is identifying why he faces and endures all this conflict. And I believe, therefore, I must speak. He's saying, I believe in the Lord. The Lord has delivered me. I am compelled to speak. I've got to tell people. That's a beautiful picture. Verse 14, he goes on, he says, We know the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Now again, he's talking about this context of even possibly dying. And he says, look, I'm not scared because I know the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us. And present us together. <laughs> he says, Corinthian believers, those of you that, that trust the Lord and have eternal life in Corinth, we will meet again someday, no matter what happens. Not because of my power, but because of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Because of who our Father is, and because of that eternal life we have through Christ. Get this, Paul's faith relied on the fact of the resurrection and not about how he felt about his circumstances. This is huge. Uh, there are so many roadblocks, so many things that, that are put up in front of us. You know, this year certainly has been a handful of them, or last year, the year before, have certainly been a handful of them. But it's not about how we feel, and it's not about our perception, or even better, not about the perception other people have of us, Right? It's about the fact of the resurrection. It's about the fact of who we serve. It's about who our God is. Now, verse 15, this is the last verse we're going to look at today. He says, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. Paul's suffering for Christ was for the benefit of believers in Corinth so that grace could continue to spread even further so that God will receive even more glory and thanksgiving. 
All right, so you guys are saying, why do we care about this verse? Why does this matter to me? Little inner interlude question. Is interlude the right word? How many strings are in a piano? You said 88. Yes, 88 keys. I was going to count them here, but I actually count can't count past 10. So, uh, and my thumb is hurt, so I might not count that far. 245 strings, I think. Right, And here's the beauty of a piano. Um, you could take somebody that's playing classical music, not necessarily my thing. Uh, you could take somebody who's playing ragtime. We had a piano player at our old church that could kind of play uh, cowboy sounding, old, you know, southern sounding, uh, and, and just play ragtime. You could take somebody who plays classical, somebody who plays that ragtime sound. You can play, play, uh, uh, take somebody who plays jazz. Like, those people don't even play the right keys, right? And it still, still sounds good. Uh, it's still amazing. 245 strings, uh, and I think it was um, Theodore Steinway of this. He's a grandchild of the Steinway that started the Steinway Empire. Steinway probably has influence on about 80% of the grand pianos that are made in the world today. Um, he says, out of those 245 strings, there's about 40,000 pounds of pressure that's exerted on those same 245 strings that creates that beautiful sound and that harmony. Whether it's a classical player, a ragtime player, a jazz player, or whatever, it's this insane amount of pressure across a whole lot of areas that makes this beautiful harmony, makes this beautiful sound come out, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. Sometimes it's the pressure and the persecution and the trials that we undergo that resonates with those that we share the word with. In fact, 2 Corinthians, I, I love, I've quoted this verse about a million times over the last uh, a couple of years, but uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul actually leads off with that. He says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we are we ourselves received from God. So we go through stuff so that we can turn around and encourage other folks and comfort other folks uh, with that same comfort, pointing them towards the Lord and hopefully uh, praying for the Holy Spirit to be with them and comfort them and the Lord to have His presence there. Guys, we go through these trials and persecutions because it resonates with a lot of the folks that we share the word with. If you hear nothing else than what I've said today, hear this. We are living in a time where, where persecution, I think, and even more accurately, conflict is very present. And I think it's probably only going to get worse. Equally troubling is that as a culture, we are being conditioned. We're being conditioned to believe that true ministry... Now, remember we started this out by saying ministry is us learning how or or experiencing how we serve the church and the world around us. We're being conditioned literally every single day as a culture. The true ministry is hiding in your basement and cowering in fear. That's not Paul. That's not the example we've got of Paul. 2 Corinthians is a book that teaches us what it is to be a minister. 
what it is to serve in the church and in the world. Too often we think of a minister as, as someone as, who is either a pastor or a missionary, one of those called people like Pastor Mark or Anderson Girls or, or Martha that we prayed for today. We think of, of ministers as that. But guys, we all have this sphere of influence that God has placed us in. Whether that's the, the, uh, the office where you work, uh, the field where you work, the school that you attend, the friend you've got across the street, that one annoying neighbor that won't ever leave you alone, whatever that is, we all have a sphere of influence where God allows us to minister as believers. We cannot afford to hide in our basement. Uh, Whether you're called a pastor or missionary or just a guy who has a weird job like a circus freak going to rodeos, the Lord's given you a sphere of influence literally no one else can touch. Let's not fail those folks by hiding. Let's not fail those folks by not being present. Not in the first century. You know, there, there will never be a time when there is no danger in our world. Paul, I, I love, again, that Second Corinthians 15 passage. Paul talks about all this stuff he went through. It's just a handful of years, 10, 15 years, all this stuff this dude went through. And I, I have often thought, not to make light of this, but I have often thought if I was had gone through everything that Paul had gone through, and I'm sitting there holding on to a little piece of wood in a shipwreck in the middle of the sea, I'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. No, that, that's not what Paul did. Uh, he, he hung in there. There is never going to be a time when there is no danger in our world. That was not true in the first century, and it's certainly not going to be true here. Our world is beaten down. Our world is struggling. Our world is looking for some kind of hope and looking for a Savior. We have that hope in Christ, right? And we know the only Savior this world is ever going to get. We need to approach life. We need to approach this crazy time we're in. We need to approach our community with that same attitude that the Apostle Paul had. That same attitude of, you can't scare me with heaven. I know where I'm going, and I'm going to tell you how to get there too. Remember the example of Paul as you look for ways to serve. Remember, Paul was completely ready to die sharing the word so that others might experience the life of Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you again for just your beautiful word. We thank you for the honesty that, that Paul gives us throughout this entire book of 2 Corinthians. Um, he, he's really, there's a whole lot of different directions that he goes, but he is so completely and brutally honest uh, with some of his own failings, but also with his faith in you and his trust in you and his walk with you. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, that, that he reminds us that we can be pressed uh, we, we can be pressured. We can, we can uh, even be perplexed. We can be all kinds of things, but yet you don't give up on us. And we're grateful for that. Now we pray for you to give us strength uh, this day and this week and this month and this year uh, to get out there and actually minister, to get out there and serve. And whatever context uh, you've placed us in and with whatever physical abilities you've given us, and certainly spiritual abilities. God, you, we just pray that you would give us the endurance we need, the boldness we need to proclaim your truth, to proclaim your world to this, your word to this world around us. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.